Hi, my name is Pedro Pablo Lander, and I'm from Caracas, Venezuela. I moved to Winona, Minnesota, straight from Caracas, when I was 18, and I ended up going to Winona, and I found dance there. So that kind of changed my life. But, and then I graduated from Winona State in 2015, and I've been living in the Twin Cities since June of that, of 2015. I met Pedro through the dance community at Winona State in 2015 when he cast me in a piece he choreographed for the annual dance show. And before I go on, I'd just like to note that Pedro is still working toward his pronoun. So Z has asked me to use both he, him, and Z here. That's Z spelled Z-E, here spelled H-I-R, as pronouns when referring to Pedro. Back to discussing dance, my favorite thing and Pedro's favorite thing, actually. His piece, called Mind Swarm, represented how buzzing thoughts can take over your mind. The movement was modern, primal, and aggressive at points. It was one of the most physically challenging things I've ever done, and that includes training for a half marathon. The thing I love about dancing with Pedro and about watching here dance is that Z throws all of his energy into it, and he expects the same of his dancers. By the end of the nine-minute piece, each of us dancers gasped for breath. Sometimes I even had spots in my vision. During these moments, Pedro repeated, take pleasure in the effort. This philosophy is so apparent when Z dances. Anyone who has seen him perform can tell Z is an incredibly passionate person. Pedro's work is raw and authentic. For me, as someone who had the fortunate opportunity to dance in one of her works, it has been a joy witnessing how his work has changed and taken on new topics as Pedro himself has discovered new parts of his identity. In this episode of I Doth Protest, Pedro and I discuss how personal histories and family affect her journey to his gender identity and how language and performance can be vehicles to authentically expressing genders outside of the binary. I'm Kim Schneider, and this is I Doth Protest, a podcast that explores all the forms of resistance people take to stand up for what they believe in. So right now I am working, my main company is the April Seller Sense Collective. And we did a residency at Purdue University, and I got to teach dance to students and rehearse with them and perform at the end of the week with them in the work. So that was really an amazing experience. And I rehearse with the company three times a week, and I we are performing at the end of April. It's called the Animal Corridor, and I'm very passionate about the what's in the work. Uh, we are looking at new gender futures. Cool. Yeah, it's... Um, what do you mean by that, new gender futures? Yeah, I think that when I got interviewed, quote-unquote, basically April had met me and she's seen my work and she approached me and started talking about her work and she invited me into the company. But when she started talking about it, she was like, I have this really masculine energy within me and I want to take it out and it comes in the form of violence. So it was like a really kind of toxic way of describing masculinity, but within her female body. So it was very interesting. That's what I, that's my main gig. I'm making my own work. I think that's one of the things I'm very, very pulled towards doing. And 
I have continued to make work and the past year and a half I've made a lot of solos about sexuality and religion, about gender that you saw. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then about leaving Venezuela. I did at the Red Eye Theater last year. It was a five month residency and it was incredible. I loved it. Wow. I had 20 boxes on stage, 20 cardboard boxes, the little big ones. And okay. I. Yeah, tell me more. Tell me the significance of that. Sure. When I left Venezuela, I mean, I came to school, but then a year and a half after that, my parents also migrated. So we had to leave everything behind because we didn't have the money to bring it right away. And my parents didn't have any job security in the United States. So I went back to Venezuela to finish like the paperwork with the embassy. And then they were like, we have to leave right now. And I mean, like, we have to leave you know, next week. And I was like, okay, so what's going to happen with all of this? Mm-hmm. They were like, you have to move it. So for I spent a week, and they had sold the cars. And the apartment was just, I had a mattress on the floor. And that was it. Wow. And I had to move. the Yeah, I sold a couple of things. Like, I gave that my mom had sold. So I had to be there and bring down like the couches and stuff for these people. And I had no internet because I had canceled it. I had no phone. It was like the most isolating experience. And it was during the holidays. It was traumatic and I had to move like over 60 boxes on my own down the stairs, across the street, into this woman's house, their neighbor, and then down like a a long way because in Venezuela it's kind of mountain of wilderness <laughs> so in a house you could have like a patio and it would go down the hill with like forest so I had to go down where she had a little storage room so 60 boxes all that trajectory wow. tell me about your pronouns and your gender identity just right then. <laughs> yeah sorry i don't really i don't really like <laughs> just change so that okay sure yeah this is a hard one this is a really hard one i think for me at this stage of my process because well i've always been i feel like a queen inside of my body growing up but mm-hmm. i always had to cage the queen mm-hmm. and lock her up because my family is extremely catholic and i was in seminary i was gonna be a priest I've lost a lot of former priest friends over my recent pictures. <laughs> Anyways, um, so in college, I got to be very gay. Like, I got to work against the marriage amendment, the marriage equality bill. So I worked on that, and I was in the group, and then I started the club on campus, and I started developing my gay identity. And I took a class, LGBTQI studies with Mary Jo Klinker, mm. Dr. Mary Jo Klinker. And I started learning more about queer identity. And then I graduated and moved to the cities and realized that this, there was other information bursting up and through the seams of my body that was telling me you need to embrace more your body and your identity. I feel like I've always struggled, for example, and this is just a part of gender expression with each, which is clothing. 
and I always I couldn't find pants that fit me anywhere. And I was like, I am not like I feel so different, especially my pelvic floor mm -hmm. <laughs> dance lingo. <laughs> But anyways, I started shopping and I started finding like high waisted shorts, and I was falling in love because I love my legs. <laughs> and like I just high waisted in general just gives me such a better shape and I started buying more like blouses that also fit my body better than like the typical male flannel or the typical male Abercrombie and Fitch style cut shirts like that look always felt weird on me but I had to wear it to feel attractive to like in the gay world Um, that was my perception, right? This is all, all. Everything that I talk about is coming from me, and not I'm not talking for anybody else mm -hmm. or in name of a group of people, because that's not real. That's not real. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so my gender I've been expressing it new in new ways. I feel like I at this point I feel like I am both gen in the binary I feel like I'm both female and male I feel like I'm neither I feel like there's something inside of me telling me that I don't feel comfortable in being a, ma a man and I, but I don't feel comfortable being a woman either and I think that was a big struggle growing up and only seeing representation in either like male and female and very very stereotypical like everybody looks has the same clothes so it was hard to move away from that and imagine what my gender can be mm -hmm. and is and will be I don't know so for pronouns I grew up with Spanish is a gendered language and there's only male or female it's like very arbitrary but it's a very beautiful language too I think that in this criticism of this specific of the language I do not dismiss the beauty of my language because I love Spanish and I'm a freak about it because <laughs> I have very good teachers too in linguistics and I'm like a grammar freak in Spanish I was a tutor at Winona State a Spanish tutor Um, in English, I feel like right now I go by he, him, his. In doing some research last few years in queer studies and also in just media and listening to queer people. I will move towards, towards Z here. Um, have you heard of those? Mm -hmm. Do you just want to explain that though? Sure. Your words. Mm -hmm. So Z, Z E, um, instead of he or she. So Pedro likes to dance. Z is an amazing booty shaker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So. But what's the difference of uh, between like the pronouns or what does, you know, what does Z represent for you? These are good questions. Z represents not existing in this imposed gender binary. 
and it is a way for my body to feel more authentic. It is a way for my identity to feel more coherent or transparent. And it's a way for others to see me in the way that I am and not in the way that they're taught to see me. So you feel that um, <laughs> the gender, the genderness of our language is like one of the pieces to constructing your identity in the society. Oh yeah, because we learn language so young. Language, we learn it so young and we, everything is described by language. Um, I think you see a book and it's like buck, you know? That's how you call it. Instead of, I don't know, and I'm not making judgment of it, I'm just acknowledging that it is. Yeah. And like, instead of being like, let me feel the book, let me, you know, what is the, trans- the association with the book? You know, like, language is very primal in the way in which we communicate, which is the way it's most accessible. I think it's an important piece to being seen and to construct yourself. When I was young, I used to lock myself in my sister's bedroom and play with her Barbies. It was, I was so ashamed of it. I, w- I was very calculated. Was, as a young kid, I was very calculated in the times when I would choose to play with the Barbies. And when, like, I studied, like, people around me to be able to express myself. Mm. Um, I did that. I always liked and fantasized about, like, always being with the girls and in pre-k I used to play with the girls all day and this how do you call those games patty cake patty cake yeah I've never heard that in my life <laughs> patty cake like patty cake patty cake big girls man that one or no, we call we have estaban los tomatitos muy contentitos pronto okay right. mm <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. Do you know that one? No. And then we have other ones, but patty cake, I've never heard of. <laughs> so, yeah, I used to play patty cake, and I used to want to dye my hair, and I paint my nails, and do the stereotypical things that I thought were the feminine, right? And then, obviously, not being a thing that I was able to do. Because it's very young, I also noticed the repression against people that looked like the way I wanted to look like. Or I thought that was the only way to look like if you were me. Or someone like me. Which is like the hairdressers and like the act- some actors or dancers. Like, There's no other representation in my country. Well, there's an incredible right now um, who's been out for years. But that was the only transverse presentation, for example, is... This professor at the Universidad Católica Andres Bello is a university that I was got accepted into. Actually, she was a psychology professor. I was gonna be a psychology major, but she's a trans woman who's married to a woman in Venezuela, and she's now the first trans congresswoman of Venezuela. Like she's a boss's bitch, for <laughs> real. Anyways, but that was the only representation. So I was like, okay, if I'm gay, because I don't feel like I am. A woman, but I like womanly things. So if I'm gay, I look like I need to look like a hairdresser. And then whenever we went to a hairdresser, like my family, my parents and my my mom's and my dad's friends would refer poorly about hairdressers. Be like, 
es maricón de mierda. Like, thinks, like, fucking faggot. Like, he shouldn't be working here. Like, you know? Or, like, my dad. I told my dad, actually, this week about this memory. When I, there was a dancer, very fun boy, and with their little holes in the tank top, you know? Mm-hmm. And with gym, bright short, bright pants, you know, like the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, he was teaching, my, my aunt hired this person to teach for a, um, like a Zumba class, but we call it bailoterapia, a Zumba class in a mall, you know, for every Sunday, they did that. And it was for the community, it was great. I love it. Um, but back then, my parents made a meeting with the family and like with the aunts and uncles and like grandmom and like started yelling at my aunt, being like, you cannot hire this faggot to teach in public for a family event. Like, how ridiculous, you know? Um, this is outrageous. They're gonna corrupt our children. So I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not able to do that. So I very quickly learned about who I could be. And very quickly, I started looking for like, it was this traumatizing. It was like, oh, I used to like, we, ha- we lived on a 10th floor in a balcony. We had a big window. And I would, when I was like nine or 10, I would look down and be like, imagine my dad. Like, terrible. Mm-hmm. Until I get to college, and I live happily ever after. No, but it was a hard time to be a queer Venezuelan boy, girl, both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, so that, and then I closeted, and then, and then I was in seminary, and I did seminary in Mexico. I had to wear suit and tie every day. That's why the ties, you know, mm-hmm. you saw that? Yeah. I had to wear a tie every day. And I, that was, but ties were my only way of self-expression too. Because I had colorful ties. And I was like, I'm going to resist. <laughs> I this really bright blue tie. I don't have it anymore. But it was gorgeous. But just like the fact that I had to tie every single day. And my life was on a schedule. And I lived with men. And... And then I left the seminary, and I was like, fuck all this shit. (laughs) And I started being gay, and finding gay communities, like, underground. I got networked into it through research. Like, I used to look at Facebook and, like, try to see through people's pictures, like, who could be gay, (laughs) you know? Who had the little hair flip, or who had the little, like hand on the waist or who had, and I started adding people and talking to people mm-hmm. and some I had to be like oops and some <laughs> were like okay they're gay so in a way you were kind of studying like how to be gay yeah yeah totally yeah and then I started hanging out with these people and then I started hanging out with one of my cousins Rosaline who lives in Canada now but I I started hanging out with her and her group of friends outside of my high school that were all male Catholic high school And then I started being friends with all those high school people. So people are my age, outside of the gay community, because that was very, uh, it's like a dangerous community. It's kind of looking at the 80s now here. So like in the US 80s, is now what has been Caracas with the gay culture. It's like clubs are in the bottom of um, malls and in the basements of an office building. So like they're very like that. And 
is very frowned upon and it's a very dismissed so like the community and we are starting to have visibility out I'm proud with famous people which hasn't been the case which and it wasn't the case 30 years ago here mm-hmm. so to draw that parallel because he was a little toxic so all these gay community in Venezuela that I had they were all a lot of them were doing a lot of cocaine a lot of drugs a lot of and I was 16 I chose to not partake in all of that because that was scary to me I think growing up Catholic you also develop fear of all these things which was a good fear I think but other fears were irrational like fear of being gay um, and then after that I came to college and I started being more feminine but it wasn't really until I started seeing myself in the last couple of years with people outside like in the Twin Cities there's definitely more obviously than in Winona <laughs> so seeing more gender fluid folks meeting more gender fluid folks and representation matters. I saw, I started learning about Alok. Um, they're, God, they're a poet, oh, okay. part of a duo. Mm. Can remember? I I follow them on Facebook. It's an incredible. I saw them at Augsburg College where I worked last year, and that was fantastic. It rocked my world. I was like, yes, this is me, and. They're South Asian, I think, Southeast Asian, um, male-born or uh, grew up male, and now is genderqueer, and he's feminine, and he feel and he's trans, but she she doesn't want any quote unquote transition, like. She is okay with her body. And she's okay. So it it just rocked my world that I think that representation was like... I felt this urgency within myself being like, this is me. Like, this is who I want to be. And then I saw, started seeing... I'm blanking on names. I have a Jacob Tobiah. She is... I actually saw her in DC partying with a cat shirt. It was a little (laughs) baffling. But she appeared on NBC News, like, gender segment. You should watch her. She's amazing. And wears, like, beautiful nail polish and is super... um, She organizes in communities and goes and speaks across the United States about gender. And, like, seeing her also was, like, this is who I want to be. So I think Jacob Tobaya and Alok were my, like, pioneers of gender. And obviously, you know, RuPaul or whatever. But that was another, that's another part of gender. Mm. I, it's interesting. What do you mean by that? That's another part of gender? I think um, drag is kind of also a little... It's not where if I were... When I did drag, when I debut my drag... <laughs> <laughs> Come find me, Doña Pepa Lady Beer. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> Lady Beard. So it's yes, so I was. I think of like drag as also. Um, it can be so fantastic in the way we cross like the gender, and like that expression. But it's it has a tendency of being very like Miss Venezuela pageant, you know, very like everybody has to have you know this round sculptural 
which is uh, starting to watch, but it's also, I feel, very limiting, because I, you know, but drag is so much, you know. Drag is, ev it can be everything. It can be whoever, whoever you want to envision. It can be a character, or it can be an exaltation of yourself. And I feel like that's how I want, if I, when I do drag, is that, mm -hmm. you know. It's a way to make it performative and to create awareness and to just push boundaries. How out there can I be with the aesthetic? And like, out there not in the flashy way, but in like the authentic way, I think, of this rawness that comes with gender expression. And this is self-exploration. Oh, I'm always, I mean, I feel like I'm always like, um, I'm always unfolding, like my, well, my friends don't unfold. I'm unfolding. I feel like I'm always kind of... Reaching at the next rung on the ladder. Yeah, I like also layers, like I'm mm. peeling of like skin and fabrics. I'm always peeling and like finding new things and like looking at it. So definitely like there's a lot of foliage. Since we first talked, Pedro actually debuted his drag at Lush in Minneapolis. He said it was an incredible experience. He had so much support and the environment was so loving. The audience actually elected here through Thursday night's performance to also perform this past Saturday night at Lush. Pedro said he is excited to continue to transform the drag community in the Twin Cities. can't like comprehend yeah. not being a man or a woman what do you say to those people it depends their age mm -hmm. and their background and where we are mm -hmm. my parents for example I told them I feel like I'm and this is the thing again I want to reiterate iterate or however that this is my experience and that in my unfolding process I'm not as actualized with my identity as other non-binary folks. But that also is categorizing. But I just want to put that out there because there's a lot of non-binary people who've been non-binary for so long. And I haven't even gotten to my pronoun. My parents, I told them, I feel, again, I'm both and neither... Um, everything in my body. <laughs> They're like, but men are men and women are women. And my mother does the sighing. Like, <sighs> <laughs> and like, does that clisk. Well, you know, and rolls her eyes and yeah. keeps sighing. Mm -hmm. And then goes into like the pleading sigh, like, <sighs> Oh, like pleading to Jesus like oh my god Jesus give me patience because this boy is gonna drive me nuts you know so I bought my first, first pair of heels and I came back with like glitter on my face and I had a box with my heels and I was coming down from partying from Penloy the next day and I took a train 
back to my parents, and then my mom picked me up from the train station. She was like, oh, what did you buy? And I was like, oh, just, I don't know, clothes. Oh, okay, okay. And started making her look like, I don't believe you. Like, it's okay. You know what? It's a beautiful pair of heels. And then she was like, I don't know what that shit is. You know, like, what is, like, what is that shit you're trying to, like, pull or whatever? And then I told her all these things. And she was like, no, male and men, women are women. It's like, if you, if your sister was to wear a tux, I would tell her that she looks ridiculous and that she needs to put back. And I was like, so that was your saying about heels. And she's like, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. You need to respect me. Respect how I feel. And I was like, um, but your ideology and how you feel goes directly against my humanity and my life. And I was trying to explain that because the people I hear and the conversation she has, other people kill trans people and kill gender affirm people. That's literally. And I was trying to explain that and she was like, mm, I wouldn't go to that extreme. And I was explaining, and like talking about Orlando, for example. <laughs> so like, because of people that talked to you or people, you know, maybe they're committing hate crimes. And then I went very close to family. I was like, my brother, not the priest one, but the other one, I haven't talked to in six years. And he, when I first came out, told my parents that he cannot have a gay brother because when he was in high school, which was, he's 10 years older than me. When he was in high school, he used to beat up the femme kids, literally. And he was proud of that. And he used to be physically abusive of me, like hit me and shit. Anyways, so that's talking to gender, you know, about gender to them. That's how it goes. So it's like they become like the victims. Like I am not understanding them. I don't want this. I don't want to, you know, try this relationship. But then, for example, how easy it is. You know, this is people that are 60 years, 65 years old who are been, have been toxicified or toxified or whatever with this ideology and this mentality of hatred and separation. And then, but I teach kids, for example, the Pillsbury House Theater, and I went with my glitter on my nails, and the kids were like, why are you grab my hand and we're like why are you wearing nail polish or that on your and I was like because I like it but you're a boy and then I was like am I and they were like boys can't wear nail polish and I said what rules are you following um I don't know and then I said well boys can wear nail polish girls can wear nail polish anybody can wear nail polish it's like oh, okay and then they started playing with a ball. Great. <laughs> they asked me more questions than my parents did. They, uh, you know, I asked, I got to ask them questions and it got answered and then it was not an issue. I had this tiny girl, she came up and she was drawing and I was like, oh, draw Mrs. Lauren, another teacher. I was like, oh no, I wanna draw you, Pedro. I like drew me like a stick figure with a dress and I wore sweatpants. I wear sweatpants to work, or pants or jeans. She'd draw me with a dress, with my long hair and a, and a beard. 
So I was like, that's this so is beautiful. Like, that's me. I was like, this tiny person sees me better than my family. Before I give you a sneak peek of our next episode, here's a message from our sponsors. Silence. Crickets. It doesn't sound like a cricket. Um, Anyways, if you'd like to become a sponsor, send listener feedback, or pitch an episode idea, email idothprotestpodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook. Also, please send me emails or messages. I love getting mail. It would make me really happy. You don't have to send me any money. You can just send me your thoughts, and it's like the same thing. Next time on I Doth Protest, I interview a longtime LGBTQ and Indigenous issues activist, lifetime journalist, and nearly retired professor, my mentor and college advisor, Cindy Killian. I think I, as a university professor, because I have that liberty, I can model that behavior uh, for my students so they can see what an activist does. And if I can create that space in which people can know me and know all those facets of my personality, then I think I could either inspire them to, one, become activists or want to get involved, or rather than inspire them, at least um, kind of eliminate those stereotypes that people base their opinion on. Be sure to tune in April 26 for the next installment. I'm your host, Kim Schneider, and this is IDOS Protest. Showing at the Carol's at eight. Future interstates? Maybe. Totally. No, kidding. If if I'm going, you're going. Otherwise, I'm not gonna go. Like the idea would be. And then I'm gonna go all by myself. Oh my gosh. I'm not dressed. That's fine. I would have to wear my heels. This is what I'm gonna wear. And I already would have to think about my outfits. Because I need to make a You statement. can think about it while okay, you Okay, but this is what I was gonna wear. Like, this is all you I have. You can wear that. Like, people yeah, do both. Yes. People do like. Okay. Just but you guys look so nice. And Kimberly, you can be the butch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> That's my favorite thing I've ever heard anyone say. <laughs> 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 Maybe. Yes. One more quick note. Just in case any of you audience members are wondering why I used that music to transition in between Pedro's talking points. That's part of Pedro's soundscape of Mind Swarm, the piece that I danced in that he choreographed, and it's called Space Drum Solo by Yuki Koshimoto. Definitely look it up, the YouTube video is pretty sweet. Okay, that's it. Bye.